The truth is not even the angels bear the image of God. We are uniquely made as image bearers of God. There's not another uh, creature in all the world, all the universe, and all the heavens that bears the image of God. There's no record of that whatsoever. And so God gives us this unbelievable gift. Satan hates that you are a woman made in the image of God. He hates that you are a man made in the image of God. He hates that you're a daughter, that you're a girl, that you're a boy made in the image of God. And is it any wonder, as we look around at all that's going on in culture, that the real core issue here is the defiling and the, um, the veiling of the image of God in us as male and female. We are actually rejecting God's image his incorruptible glory that he's given to us as image bearers, we are rejecting that and saying, I will put on whatever clothing, whatever skin, whatever I feel like uh, to align with what I believe is good for me. And by the way, it's so much better, God, than what you had for me. We're actually now identifying as cross species. When kids see that stuff being celebrated, when they see Johnny or Susie going into the bathroom, and coming out uh, in some other form uh, of identity, either the opposite um, identity as a boy or a girl or some other form of identity, and everyone is celebrating it, led by the teacher and, and, and then followed by the students, do you not think that that has uh, a huge impact on the psyche and the minds of children? I'd like to spend some time talking about the topic of identity. It is such a huge issue and it's really a centerpiece of our culture today. Uh, at, at one time, uh, people were never talking about identity. It was assumed, it was understood uh, that we were male and female, whether people were atheists or if they're Christians understanding that we're made in the image of God as male and female. It, it was something that was simply assumed. Uh, binary gender uh, was never a, a dirty term or a bad term. It's simply who we were. And that's the way it's been, frankly, for thousands of years. And, uh, and so we um, need to, though, have the conversation because identity has become a really volatile issue. It's become a confusing issue. And so I want to spend a little bit of time talking about that today. So um, as human beings, our sense of identity does matter profoundly. Uh, it's, it is of such significant importance. One of the things that the discussion has, has created, I believe, that's been a, a, a beneficial byproduct, it's elevated the conversation around identity. And I think, frankly, as one who grew up in the church, um, I would oftentimes hear the phrase kind of thrown around that our identity is in Christ. And, and, um, and, and I think that certainly is true. But the issue is, what does that even mean? Let's just spend a little time with that. So according to Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God is having this conversation with himself in the beginning of, of verse 26 and says, let us make man in our image. And, and by the time you get to the end of verse uh, 27, he says that male and female, he made them. The, the reality, I believe, is that we, we aren't simply humans made in the image of God. I believe that we are male and female made in the image of God, that we are of equal value. Our image bearing as men and women is of equal value. And of course, we've gotten that wrong a lot in the church. We have, um, we have not valued 
the feminine characteristics and aspects um, nearly as much as the masculine. And then at times we've had a backlash. And, and, and what that's often called is misogyny, the devaluing or the hatred of the feminine. But the backlash of uh, misogyny has been misandry the devaluing or the hatred of the masculine. And oftentimes we don't even realize what we're devaluing in one another. And, and yes, we are broken expressions. We have, because of the fall, because of sin, we are broken expressions of the image of God. But what we are often devaluing is literally the image of God in us, in our uniqueness as male and female. But identity is absolutely critical because it goes all the way back to when God was laying the foundations of the earth and when he created us um, in, in the beginning as Adam and Eve and put that special unique reality of his image into us, which is passed on to our children. The truth is not even the angels bear the image of God. We are uniquely made as image bearers of God. There's not another uh, creature in all the world, all the universe, and all the heavens that bears the image of God. There's no record of that whatsoever. And so God gives us this unbelievable gift in, in, in placing his image within us. And his intention is that we reveal and we live out who God is on the earth. And yet, it seems as though in our modern day quote unquote wisdom, we'll talk about that in a second, but in our modern day wisdom, it seems like our highest perspective is to behave as much like animals as we possibly can. That is not God's design for us. That is not God's design for his image whatsoever. That Satan wanted to be like God. We know this. Isaiah 14, 13 through 15 talks about the idea of, um, of him wanting to be not just like God, but literally to be above God. And, and the reality that we bear his image, Satan hates that you are a woman made in the image of God. He hates that you are a man made in the image of God. He hates that you are a daughter, that you are a girl, that you're a boy made in the image of God. And is it any wonder as we look around at all that's going on in culture, that the real core issue here is the defiling and the um, the veiling of the image of God in us as male and female. If his image is in us as male and female, and we are trying to flip-flop genders, we believe that because we think we're in the wrong body and we need to be um, in, in uh, as a man in a female body or as a as a girl in a, in a ma male body, then and we think that there's no consequences to that at all. We can't live out the image that God has put into us in our maleness. I can't live that out as a woman. A woman can't live out the image of God in her as a woman if she's if she's putting on the persona and trying to live out what it means what it means to be a man. And of course, it's utterly impossible to become one or the other. At a chromosomal level, our, our body declares, no matter what we do with the outside of it, no matter how many hormones we take, no matter what kind of surgery uh, we have, no matter how successful that surgery is in making us look like or appear like some caricature of the other gender, we will never ever be the other gender. And in addition to that, it's not even that we're trying to, in our culture, just to be the other gender, we're trying to break out of the binary altogether. You you know, the, the idea, I, I remember reading an article now, actually many years ago, that where the person writing the article was just giddy over the idea that, that he felt like he discovered that the idea that literally there's thousands of genders. Uh, there's not just two, there's not just five, there's not just 55, but there's thousands in his mind. 
And, uh, and, and to him, that sounds like freedom, but the truth is it's actually chaos. If we do sex God's way and we, and we embrace identity his way, there are so many blessings to that. There's so much wholesome order uh, in that. I'm, I'm reminded of Romans 1. 22 and 23, and I know this is one of the primary um, scripture passages uh, talking about homosexuality, but in many ways, I'm not even thinking specifically about like the homosexual act or any of that here. I mean, it's addressed here un undoubtedly, but, um, but Romans 1, 22 and 23 says this, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God, the image of God in us, for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. In, in the United States and in some other countries around the world, we're literally taking our own bodies and we are, we are making ourselves our own idols. We are actually rejecting God's image, his incorruptible glory that he's given to us as image bearers. We are rejecting that and saying, I will put on whatever clothing, whatever skin, whatever I feel like, uh, to align with what I believe is good for me. And by the way, it's so much better, God, than what you had for me. It's absolutely a form of idolatry and a form of brokenness uh, that, that does not lead to life. It leads to destruction. We've set ourselves up, as I said, as gods ourselves. Through sexual immorality, we worship ourselves and sexual cravings above all else. And then in addition to that, when we go about changing our bodies, we, again, it isn't through necessarily sexual craving, that's part of it, but we literally are setting ourselves up to, to try to become uh, the other or to become something entirely different. We degrade God's design for bearing and, ex um, and expressing his image as either male or female, believing that we can design something better than he did. We're trying to change our sex from male to female or, or female to male, which, as I said, is utterly impossible. We're not stopping there. I don't know how much you're aware of this, but we're actually now identifying as cross-species. That may sound bizarre, but we're moving in that direction. It's it you you may have heard one of the one of the common um, uh, labels for this is furries. Uh, there are people who identify more with animals and uh, and, and and actually uh, put on animal suits. They they identify as um, as this uh, you know furry caricature of an animal, and they and they actually live out. Um, aspects, believing that their identity is somehow wrapped up in this. There's others that, that aren't necessarily putting on the, for example, furry suits, but they're identifying with a different category of animal and, um, and, be, and wanting others to identify them that same way. So it's not even just, and, and just, uh, I'm not minimizing it, it's not even that we are staying in the human population and, um, and, and throwing off binary gender and God's image in us. We're actually crossing into this other place of, of uh, cross-species identification. Uh, we're also um, intentionally sexualizing and confusing little children. We have um, such a push uh, to, um, to sexualize at the earliest of ages, at five, at six, or seven years old. You know, I was introduced to pornography when I was five or six years old, and it wreaked havoc on my life. Uh, the last thing that we need is for uh, schools and other spaces introducing children, and not just introducing, but but it becomes rhetoric where there's this constant conversation, ongoing conversation, ongoing questions about how they're identifying. Well, they're identifying as a little boy because they are a little boy. They're identifying as a little girl because they are a little girl until people get a hold of them and start confusing them as to 
uh, as to whether they are or they aren't. When kids see that stuff being celebrated, when they see Johnny or Susie going into the bathroom and coming out uh, in some other form uh, of identity, either the opposite um, identity as a boy or a girl or some other form of identity, and everyone is celebrating it, led by the teacher and, and, and then followed by the students, do you not think that that has uh, a huge impact on the psyche and the minds of children uh, who are trying to fit in and wanting to, um, to to be approved of? Of course it does. And so we this this sexualizing and confusing of little children is a huge issue in our culture. What I'm seeing as well is this destigmatizing and normalizing of pedophilia. The, there's actually a new label for that, and it's called um, minor uh, attracted persons. And so there's TED Talks, there's other popular talks in colleges and university. There are um, professors and and others that are that are really talking about this in a positive way. It's something that needs to be understood as an orientation that needs to be accepted, not something that we need to be you know, concerned about. And let me also say here, as a Christian, I, I believe that God can absolutely um, impact the life of somebody who has sinned against a child, somebody who has maybe never sinned against the child, but has struggled maybe with attraction. I know that that person didn't wake up one day asking for those attractions, but I and I do believe that the Jesus and the church uh, working through the power of the Holy Spirit and working with somebody who really wants to come into alignment with Jesus' uh, purposes for their lives can actually experience huge transformation in this area of their life. For those that are looking for help and support, regardless of what their history has been, Jesus is there for them and he wants to be their solution. And he calls us uh, to find him and to find hope and healing within the context of community. And so we as the church need to be a, a place for people who are struggling to come and find the help and support that they need for transformation, not staying in their sin or staying in a broken and a false identity. Another important uh, fact that I think is that we have to pay attention to, and this is borne out, what I'm about to say is borne out of my own story, as well as the hundreds and hundreds of others that I've, I've talked to who have come out of identity confusion and sexual addiction. Um, there is a role that particularly that fathers play in the formation of their sons and daughters' solid sense of identity or lack thereof often. Moms play a role there too. I'm not dismissing this, but dads in particular have, um, have a voice, have an authority to really bless this area of a child's life, their sons and their daughters. And in so many ways, one of the issues we're dealing with when it comes to identity is we are dealing with a, just untold amounts of fatherlessness in our in our country, both in terms of being a, a, a no-fault divorce uh, culture uh, and, and where dads are just abandoning the family altogether. Sometimes moms do, but more often than not, way more often than not, it's dads that are abandoning their, their wives and their children. And so fatherlessness is a huge issue. Even when dads are in the home, oftentimes emotionally, uh, they are not present. Oftentimes, they're caught up in their own addiction. They're caught up in, uh, you know, in their careers or whatever, uh, and they're just not paying attention to the needs of their children and the identity needs of their children as well. I'm a friend of mine, Jason Thompson, who runs uh, an organization called Portland Fellowship uh, in the in the Northwest. He did us a huge favor um, with ministries similar to the ones that I lead as well. Frankly, as the broader church. He did a huge favor for us in developing a, a one-page PDF. The, the title of that um, is Differing Views on Christian Doctrine, Identity, and Homosexuality. He wrote that um, from the framework of those differing views being within the church. 
And so he he developed four different categories. Before this, it seemed like this, this idea of identity and what was being said in the church, it just seemed like the, it was this kind of gnarled up um, ball of yarn uh, that it was difficult to find the ends. It was difficult to, to unravel um, the, the confusion kind of around identity and around sexuality and what the church's perspective was on it. And so his one-page PDF is so helpful in just developing four different basic categories of understanding um, in the church. I just want to mention those to you quickly. The PDF under that title can be found um, online, uh, at least for now. It can also be found um, through our website too. So the first category is the rebel category. The first category is um, those who would be proponents of pro-gay theology. Matthew Vines, Justin Lee, others, Mel White, others that believe that God creates people as um, not just heterosexual, but as homosexual and uh, as transgendered, all of that kind of thing. And that um, it's the homosexuality is on par with heterosexuality. These would be people that, that believe that God is totally fine with gay sex and, and, um, and gay relationships. Uh, the second column over is the resist column. And this is uh, the column that's really become, I'd say, the, the newer stream of the four. And it is, it's really taken, interestingly, all, many of the evangelical churches kind of by storm. I think it's because it seems like, quote unquote, at first look, the nicer um, perspective. Uh, but in this area, um, the folks that would align here, it would be the Revoice Movement. It would be Gregory Coles. It would be um, uh, Wesley Hill, uh, Preston Sprinkle. They have a, a biblical view, an orthodox view on sex and marriage. But what I would say is, and, and those in, in the, the category that I find myself in would say is they have it right on marriage and sex, but they have it wrong on identity. And uh, I believe that our identity is more formational, more foundational than even what we're doing with our bodies. Not that that's unimportant. That's incredibly important. I'm thankful that they're not agreeing with Matthew Vines and Justin Lee and and with the the pro-gay theology groups, but... Um, when you have a, your identity wrong, when when you may say, for example, uh, they would support the idea that they're celibate gay Christians or they're celibate trans Christians or they're celibate queer Christians or they're celibate non-binary Christians, um, when you uh, identify according to something that if you were to act on would be sin, I mean, and, and, and you own that as a label and you own it as your identity and you insist that it is your identity and that others embrace that as well. When you um, hyphenate an area that, again, if you acted on would be sin and you marry that to your Christianity, there's something really broken about um, that identity label. I believe that if, for example, if I had continued to identify as a, as a gay Christian, as a celibate gay Christian, I don't believe that I would have even been giving God room to do what he's done in my life, which is to take me from being exclusively same-sex attracted. I wasn't bisexual. I was exclusively same-sex attracted. I was repulsed by the idea of ever being married to a woman, of ever having sex with a woman. I, I didn't want to be a father. I was sure I'd be a horrible father. And, and God has taken me from that place um, many years ago now to a place where my, Melissa and I have been married for um, almost 15 years. We have two boys. One of my, or two of my greatest joys in life is to be a husband to my wife, Melissa, and to be a father to my two boys. And I, and, and it sound, it may sound insignificant to say, oh, this is my label or this is, this is how I identify. But I think it is so significant that I don't think that I would have given God the room to really bring about transformation in my life if I was insisting for myself and for others that I was a gay Christian. 
I also don't believe in in this nonsense of referring to um, those who have come out of a background of um, homosexuality or LGBT. Uh, I don't. I think that referring to their marriage as a mixed orientation marriage is is. Um, I mean, personally, I can't stand that. Uh, you know what? The truth is, I'm simply a married dude. I'm I'm a son of God. I am a husband, I'm a father, and I love being those things, and it ain't about me being a mixed orientation. It's a, the truth is marriage is hard. It's hard for all of us because it calls us to die to ourselves. It calls us to break through our selfishness and to pursue Jesus and to pursue the good of the others in our life. And so we don't need to confuse that and, and add some new label uh, to it that, that somehow identifies us um, such as mixed orientation marriage. And, and so the third column over is the renounce column. And this is very close to the fourth column, which is where I would be, and many of us, like Restored Hope Network would be in this column. Uh, many of us who believe that Jesus is still in the work of transforming lives would be in that last column. In this third column, again, very close to us, I personally, I agree. I love Rosaria Butterfield, uh, her books. Christopher Yuan is a friend and I really appreciate um, his work in ministry. Sam Albury, again, I, th I think the world of these people, um, I feel like they put the period a little too soon. And I also, I think that we have some distinction um, and some disagreements about the value of counseling uh, and, and the types of counseling. I think that there's garbage counseling out there. I think there are, there's some secular counseling that is absolute trash. It's not that I think all counseling is good. I think there's some Christian counseling that's garbage. But I do believe that the ability, um, I, I, for those of us who have wrestled with our identity, well, frankly, with, with much many things in life, it can be really helpful to sit down with a competent, well-trained, and experienced counselor, um, ideally a Christian counselor, not just a Christian who counsels, but a Christian who practices Christian counseling, biblical counseling, and also knows how to integrate that counseling and some other models of counseling that can be helpful. I think it'd be incredibly necessary for, for us, uh, some of us, to sit down and have someone like that to unpack some of our trauma from the past, to unpack um, confused areas of our lives, and, and really invite Jesus into those broken places. I have experienced profound healing in the process of doing that, both in terms of professional Christian counseling and some really good lay Christian counseling. And so the um, I believe that, that that idea, that fourth category is the rebuild category. It's the transformational ministry category that um, that the Lord does have the more for us, that um, that not only does he, does he not desire for us to identify by our brokenness or by whatever we could act on would be sin, he, he desires for us to identify uh, under the reality that we, are, that we are sons and daughters of God made in his image as male and female. That is our core identity. And anything else to that is simply confusing. And it, and it puts a ceiling over our head in terms of his ability to, um, to bring about transformation because we're holding so tightly uh, to an identity that we won't allow him to speak into or change or transform for us. So, I'd encourage you to get the PDF and and uh, go through that on your own. Uh, but that's a little bit about identity and some of the things, some of the reasons why I and and many other uh, ministry counterparts and brothers and sisters in Christ believe that what we think to be true about our identity does have massive impact, either for propelling us forward in the work that God calls us into and the vision He has for us, or it is incredibly limiting and holds us back 
from all that God has for us. Thank you so much for joining us for this Love and Truth Network podcast. To listen to or watch future episodes, please check us out at loveandtruthnetwork.com forward slash podcast. Also, you can subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and we look forward to seeing you in a future episode. Thank you.